He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here in the 5 o'clock show. Wow, the number one show in New York and the, and the entire East Coast. And uh, we have a full house today. Well, we, it must be Wednesday. It's not Friday. We have no Republicans on Friday. We have three common-sense Republicans and only one common-sense Democrat. Judge Weinberg, the you think you are, can handle? The odds are unfair. I feel very can sad you handle for it? all these guys. I, and, you win. Well, among the common-sense Republicans, we have uh, Congressman Peter King, um, Chief, Chief of Staff, uh, <laughs> Uh, Tony Carbonetti. John, the record will reflect I did work one Friday in early May. That's All right. it. I'm I done for the year. I wrote it down. And the <laughs> borough president of uh, Staten Island, the great island of Staten Island, uh, Vito Fasella. How are you, Vito? I'm doing great, John. Thanks to be with all of you, and this with the exception is a, of Peter. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is a TriCast. Uh, we're broadcasting from WABC uh, 770 uh, studios, and uh, we also have uh, AM 970 The Answer and WLIR. Who's the lady over there? And my sidekick. My sidekick on my right. It's Ghostface and, Killer uh, to you. We, we have Lydia Serrani. <laughs> Lydia, we have a great show today, don't we? Yes, we do. And I was making a reference to uh, Wu-Tang Clan. We just met one of the members upstairs, so that was interesting. But we have well, a great... Tell everybody what's his name. Ghost, Ghostface Killer. Go, does anybody know Cream Method Man? M-A-T-H-O-D, man. You know that song? No? Keep saying. We want you to keep saying. <laughs> Cream. Okay. Anyway, so we have uh, former police commissioner Bill Bratton. We will also be speaking with General David Petraeus, Paul Lounces. So, of course, talk about about inflation, Hank Shinkoff about New York politics. Also, Ernie Prayot, he's the former attorney general for Pennsylvania, the latest on the Pennsylvania Senate race. And first on the line, though, we have Andrew McCarthy. He's a former assistant U.S. attorney for New York Southern District, also a columnist now for the National Review. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Andrew McCarthy. Great to be with all of you. Tell us what's the hot news of the day, uh, Andrew. I mean, there's so many things going on. Uh, Where do we start? Oh, I don't know. I, I've been watching the uh, Sussman trial for a lot of the day, and I know there's election news that seems to be bigger news, but um, I guess that's what I've been keeping my eye on. It's a little bit more in the weeds than other stuff, but I think it's a pretty interesting story. It's a yeah. basically yeah. And this is PK, and I mean, how is that case? How is that case going? Because again, I was on the intelligence committee during that whole investigation. There was never anything there, and if they can get Sussman. I think that you know, that could open up to you know, really go higher up and get a lot more people. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. To me, it seems Pete like it's a really strong case that he made a false statement. I mean, just so people understand, it's kind of a narrow crime that's charged within a broad framework. The the broad framework is Durham believes, and I think there's a lot of evidence to this that the Hillary Clinton campaign concocted the Trump-Russia collusion narrative, that they peddled it to the press. They tried to get the FBI kind of enticed into investigating it because that would then allow them to go to the public and say the the allegations were so serious they were under investigation by the government. So that's that's the big scheme. And in the middle of this, the guy they sent to the FBI to convey the information is a lawyer uh, who worked for the Clinton campaign named Michael Sussman, who got in the door uh, with the FBI basically by trading on his reputation. He's a former 
uh, Justice Department national security lawyer, and he had a longstanding relationship with the FBI's then general counsel, Jim Baker. So he texts his pal Jim uh, to say, I got some sensitive information. I just want to share it with the Bureau to help the Bureau. I'm not representing any client, not coming to you on behalf of anyone. I just basically being a good American um, and need to share this information. And of course, he's billing the Trump, the uh, Clinton campaign <laughs> for um, uh, for his time. He's been planning the uh, co- collaborating with the Clinton campaign and putting this. Uh, Andrew, it's Tony Carbonetti. Is that exactly Hi. what the text says? They have that text saying, "I do not represent anyone. I'm coming in as Joe Citizen." Yeah, you know that's a great point because um, when when Durham first indicted the case, I was a little worried about the weakness of the proof of that meeting because what we were told is it's just a one-on-one meeting with him and Jim Baker, nobody taking notes. It's not like the normal bureau mm-hmm. meeting because these guys are all pals. They know each other, right? It's not a normal FBI interview where you'd have two agents and one guy taking notes while the other guy ran the questioning. So it sounded like it was going to be one guy's word against the other. But then we come to find out that Durham has this text message. So it's undeniable that Sussman made this representation. That and then he billed the campaign. So he's, he's admitting he was there as their lawyer, or yes, at least he well, told them that. Well, now he, they, have a, they have a defense that actually makes me uh, laugh a little bit. But what they floated out yesterday was somehow the Clinton campaign didn't really want this information to get to the FBI <clears> because they're afraid the Bureau would call the New York Times, who they had also tried to interest in the story, and try to get them not to run it. So what they're now saying is that what Sussman did was in the Bureau's interest, but it wasn't in the Clinton campaign's interest. So you can't really say that he's representing the Clinton campaign. Because the it's New York not, Times never really, never printed any stories favorable to the Clinton campaign. <laughs> right. Got it. But in the meantime, he's, he's billing his time to the Clinton campaign. And when Durham tries to get information from the Clinton campaign about Sussman, they say you can't have it because of the attorney-client privilege. So so they're admitting it. Yeah, Andy, and the whole purpose underlying this whole Russian collusion narrative was to divert attention from the Hillary Clinton laptops. Isn't that correct? Well, I think it had a lot to do with her email scandal. Uh, you know, I think that's I, I think that's right. They a lot of what they did with the Trump Russia stuff um, was because she had her own scandal to deal with. But I, you know, I, I've always thought that it was kind of foolish on her part because they built a lot of the Trump Russia narrative. They built around this cockamamie idea that Trump had something to do with the with the the Russian hack of the DNC, and I've always thought that was kind of stupid because. Clinton really didn't have a lot of emails with the DNC, so it wasn't really her thing anyway. But if you were talking about emails, that would constantly remind the public of her email scandal. So I never understood how that how she thought that helped her. I think this made as much sense as breaking into the Watergate Hotel, Andy. <laughs> we know how that worked out. <laughs> so what do you think the timing is on this? I, you know, I think the case is probably going faster than people thought. They picked a jury in one day. Uh, they're pretty well along. They have another interesting witness today, Mark Elias, who was a, another lawyer uh, at Sussman's firm. He was the chief counsel for the for the Clinton campaign. 
So they have him on the stand. I think they're going to put Baker on the stand tomorrow. The government's case could wrap up in a few days. I don't think they'll be done this week, but probably the. And did Elias get immunity? I'm sorry. Did Elias get immunity? He did not get immunity. No, he's uh, testifying without immunity so far. But but I understand the jury is made up of. uh, uh, there are at least three pro, pe- pro Cl- yeah. Cl- uh, Clinton people and pro whatever. Right, and yeah. it, I understood from the reports that there were at least three people who were supporters of Obama, Clinton, or, or AOC made uh, political contributions to them. Is that correct? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that you you would probably think this was because I certainly thought it was a peculiar way um, to pick a jury. What the judge said. And, you know, the judge, by the way, we should we should point out here, has longstanding ties to, to Clinton world. He used to as a when he got out of law school, he clerked for uh, Judge Adam Mikva, who later became uh, no, no, Bill yeah. Clinton's. Yeah, counsel. he became uh, Bill counsel. Clinton's White House counsel. Oh. And at the same time, the judge himself, whose name is Christopher, uh, they call him Casey Cooper. He went to work for the Clinton Justice Department. Uh, and he's married to, like, the woman who was Eric Holder's uh, advisor at the Justice Department. So, there's, like, there's all these ties that uh, that go back. So he's got a very um, high threshold before he perceives a conflict of interest, obviously. And, um, you know, when, when these people who are on the jury obviously have ties to the Democratic Party, he thinks he can make the whole thing go away by just saying, look, Hillary Clinton's not on trial here, and Donald Trump is not on trial here. But in the meantime, the whole trial is about a Democratic dirty trick aimed at the Republican candidate. And Clinton and Trump, even though they're not on trial, there wouldn't be a trial without them. They're, like, essential to the to the case. So I, I just don't think he, he um, took too seriously – the need to make sure that, the, you know, it, I understand it's very hard in Washington to get people who are unbiased about politics, but I think they really needed to do a better job of that. Andy, any, any word in finding out who gave uh, the leak of uh, Roe versus Wade? So far, no. Um, I think this, you know, the storyline that they tried to peddle that it might have come from a conservative clerk doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm not saying that because I'm a conservative. I'm saying that because you know, the, the thing that makes a conservative a conservative would kind of cut against doing this, whereas, um, it, you know, for progressives, this is this is a kind of a thing that's more acceptable. And you can see that by virtue of how they've reacted to it, you know, where they're, they're basically they either don't want to talk about the leaker or they say that it's much more important to have the opinion than not worry about how we got it. Uh, and in the meantime, they're having these demonstrations on the, you know, on the front lawns of the justices. Who's in charge of that investigation right now? Well, yeah, this is this is a, a big problem. I think the, the investigation is being run by the uh, the Supreme Court's marshal. Um, and my my problem with that is that yes, the Supreme Court has its own. Uh, police force, but they're basically for security of the building and the justices. They don't do criminal investigations. You can't really do a competent criminal investigation into this, I don't believe, without getting buy-in from the Justice Department and the FBI, because they need things like forensic help and, you know, the usual way that you go about investigating a leak. The Supreme Court's not in a position 
to do that. But the Biden administration doesn't seem to be at all interested in pursuing this. So why doesn't the chief justice make a request directly to uh, to the Justice Department, the FBI? I think they might say no. Well, then, but, but at least make the request. Well, we don't know that they have it, right? We don't know that the, we don't know what the communications have been between the chief justice and the and the Justice Department. So I don't want to say it happened or it didn't happen. But, you know, there's obviously, you know, if the FBI was beating the weeds and investigating this, we'd know about it. And, then, you know, we haven't heard any news of that. And there's Vito Fasola. I'm just curious. Uh, they talk about this as the biggest breach in Supreme Court history. Where is the yep. where, if any, is there precedent for these types of investigations for for such a leak, if any? Uh, there's never been a leak like this that I've that I've ever heard of, where you got an entire draft opinion, uh, which is the majority court opinion, or at least it was as of uh, February. It's probably gone through some, uh, you know, uh, editing since then. Um, I don't think this has ever happened before, which is why, for example, Justice Thomas and uh, some of the public remarks that he made last week said that it was a profound breach of trust that he thinks irreparably damages the court, that it will never be able to function like it did again. Uh, Andy McCarthy, we were just to kind of uh, switch subjects. Elon Musk, he came out a short time ago, said he is definitely voting Republican. We were also discussing amongst ourselves whether or not we think that the Twitter buy will actually go through. What do you think? I mean, I don't think there's uh, any chance in hell he's going to buy Twitter for $44 billion, and the proof he used last night, he tweeted out that article that says half of of Biden's followers are fake. So he might use that little exclusion there to say, hey, I got to lower the price or I'm out. What do you think? Well, I I think two things. I think if if Elon Musk and my mom are with the Republicans, it's going to be a good year. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pleased to say that. As far as, you know, what Musk is doing with Twitter, I'm, you know, a lot of people have been curious about what his plan for Twitter is because, to my mind, no one's ever been able to monetize that. I, you know, I wonder if it's really worth what he's looking to pay for it. So, I guess the fact that they've now raised this issue of all the phantom accounts on mm-hmm. Twitter, and does that affect like what the value of the of the enterprise is? I heard somebody describe this yesterday as saying that. Um, Twitter is is much more about power than it is about money. Like, you know, the power over the narrative and particularly the way that it's been used by progressive journalists to drive stories and to and to sort of sculpt the way stories are presented to the public is more valuable than however much it may be worth in, in terms of a monetary proposition. But I'm not, you know, that ain't my neck of the woods, so I'm probably not the best person to ask about that. Andy, I want to ask you, uh, what are your thoughts about the suspension of this Ministry of uh, of Truth, the Orwellian gambit <laughs> created by the administration? They say the woman even, resigned. Even, or- yeah, even Orwell would object to that, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it's I on think, pause yeah, look, now. Just, well, yeah, I mean... Sure. It's, it's like a lot of things they do, right? They float these uh, insane ideas and then they get all kinds of blowback. It reminds me of, uh, you know, Attorney General uh, Garland having the uh, basically ordering the FBI to go out and investigate parents who were protesting progressive indoctrination in the schools. And then when he gets called on it, he says, well, I didn't really mean that. And like my letter doesn't really mean what it says it means. So, you know, now with this this thing that's been a complete debacle with the uh, 
you know, the lady who sings uh, Mary Poppins. Uh, it was a Mary Poppins song, Sound of Music. They're full of crap. Remember, it... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I mean, that, that, thing was a, that thing was a disaster from the moment they rolled it out. So I guess the only question is why it took them so many days to, to put it on pause. But I, as I heard the press secretary say today, to the extent I was able to make out what, what she was saying, um, they're only pausing it, and they they intend to, um, you know, to get it going again. But I'd be surprised if we hear about it again. Andrew McCarthy, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you for uh, uh, keeping your eyes open for America because uh, we need. Uh, how, how do you? How does Superman say? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, God, thank you so much. God bless. Thank you, Andy.